You can measure anything. The podcast shares conversations to help you clarify unclear concepts so that you can develop better measures that lead to better decisions. Let's get started. Green Acres is the place to be. Or do you get allergic smelling hay? Fresh air or Times Square? We could think of the transition between urban and rural living as one-way cultures can collide. But what about when one transitions from the military to civilian life? How can we measure factors that contribute to that shift? Biculturalism is the topic of our episode today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to You Can Measure Anything, the podcast. I'm Nicole Aliotto, CEO of Alabreve Consulting, and I'm joined today by a member of the Alabreve team, doctoral student in international conflict management at Kennesaw State University, Tommy Hodges. Hello, hello. And we are joined by an old friend and analyst colleague, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Whitehurst. Welcome, Vince. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, and thank you so much for your service and uh, joining us for this podcast topic today. So, Vince, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, well, as Nicole said, I'm a U.S. Army retired lieutenant colonel, uh, 23 years of service, uh, active duty service. I'm a graduate of Hampton University ROTC program. Um, I was a communication officer, a Desert Storm, Desert Shield veteran. Uh, graduated from the Army Ranger School and Parachute Jump School. I worked in the Special Operations uh, era for a small period of time. I, I was a unit commander of about 140 plus soldiers. I served as an acquisition and uh, procurement officer, and I finished my service as a, an ORSA, Operations Research System Analyst, which is when I met Nicole. I'm currently an independent uh, analyst or consultant working here in the DMV. Awesome. Yes, we did meet because we had some experience with the same statistical software, SPSS, for any of those of you who are currently or have used that software since it's over 50 years old. It is a great tool that we still utilize today. How about a fun fact or hobby? What do you do in your spare time? Uh, I'm a I'm a fisherman. I, I do deep sea fishing when I get a chance. I, I'm an outdoors guy. I like to go out and grab my bike or play a little bit of golf, you know, when I can, when I'm physically able. I like to be outdoors and do outdoor stuff. Stay in shape. Excellent. Yes. And getting away from the computer any chance that we get. I think that's something that is highly recommended to anyone who's in an analyst position. That's for sure. <laughs> so you stare at the screen too long. It'll be it'll consume you for sure. <laughs> for sure. Now, I, now, Tom, you're completing your doctoral work uh, with a dissertation focused on military culture. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your project and how you got interested in it? So for my doctoral work, I was given an assistantship and kind of randomly ended up at the Center for the Advancement of Military and Emergency Services Research, where we develop behavioral and occupational health interventions for people who do firefighting, but also for military service members and military veterans. And one of my first assignments was to read the literature, read some research on student service members and veterans. So the GI Bill gives opportunity to people who are transitioning out of the military to go to school and go to university. And I kept coming across research that said that people who are on the GI Bill feel out of place in college. They feel out of place in university. And there's a, dozens of studies, as it turns out, where veterans are describing this loss of purpose, a loss of self-efficacy, uh, intercultural conflict with, with non-veterans or non-military service members. 
um, and a loss of social connections upon leaving the military service. And it's really consistent, all these findings. They tend to get labeled in an inconsistent way, though. Uh, they get called identity or challenges with identity in transition. And I am really interested in trying to measure identity uh, for, vet for veterans, post-military identity. So you can imagine our topic today being called biculturalism, because that sounds like a, was where this research landed. Tommy, is that correct? Is that kind of your working construct name for your research? Right. So all these inconsistent findings or these inconsistent labels to the to very consistent findings have led me to think, well, how can we actually measure this? What sort of framework can we bring to understanding identity after the military? And there are a lot of different ways of thinking about identity. The one I've tended to, the one I've landed on is acculturation or biculturalism. And this is commonly used with people who transition from one country to another, measuring different aspects of their identity, but also their social connections to people in their new receiving culture, as well as in their so-called heritage culture, the place that they left. We've got a lot of research background and some examples there. So I'm going to turn it over to our expert here. So, you know, Vince, does any of this resonate with you or either your experience or other service members, you know, because we can read a lot of articles and, and see a lot of studies, but you know, the truth is actually where people are having those experiences. So is this something that um, you've seen or heard of through the years? Uh, yeah, as far as the identity issue is concerned, it's, it's a it's a huge uh, uh, transition. It's a huge uh, eye opener for a lot of soldiers transitioning. But I, the migration for people to different countries, uh, I, I think that's a little uh, far reaching. Um, the uh, migration, people migrating is more like uh, people leaving in desperation or they're, they're leaving out of necessity or they're, they're searching for something better. Um, military, military transition is, is expected. You know, you, you've done your time and uh, you've served, you've been all that you can be, so to speak, and uh, you're transitioning, but you're not transitioning into something that's, uh, that's unknown. Um, you have a lot of agencies that are helping you, the VA, some agencies within the military that are helping you out as well. So you're not transitioning blind, so to speak. I, I equate it more so to uh, a change in the weather. You know, you're, the weather is going to change. It's going to be good for some, terrible for others, mm -hmm. but it's it's going to happen and you know it's going to happen. So you need to prepare yourself for it uh, as well as prepare yourself for the culture shift that's going to come with it. So is that I don't some... know if that answers your question or not. But... <laughs> I think it's just part of the conversation because when you think of constructs and, and the reason why we're here today is that sometimes they are defined differently by different people. And when we're talking about researching a topic, you know, how are we actually going to define it? What's our operational definition so that we can make sure any sort of measurement of that construct is going to reflect what our intention is. So Tommy, is this, you know, conversation as it relates to, I like that analogy and, and connection to the weather and, you know, you, you kind of, it'll be experienced differently by different people. So does that appear in some of the research that you've seen other ways that it's been explained or defined? Well, I, I appreciate the point that this is leaving the military is not the same as migrating. Um, what draws me to biculturalism as a framework for understanding this transition is the deep amount of thought that has gone into 
the migration experience as a transition and the way that they measure different aspects of it. And part of those aspects are the difference between the culture that you've left and the one that you're entering. And I think in the military to civilian transition, there are certainly cultural differences, um, but are those as extreme as leaving um, leaving somewhere in, in, in one country and going to an entirely new country? Likely not. What I appreciate about this model is that they've thought through that there are different ways that people relate to acculturation, including the conditions they face, whether there's a lot of stereotyping or discrimination, but also their degree of exposure to new cultures and their degree of uh, exposure and main maintenance of the of the prior culture. And I think that those um, those terms, how, how connected are you still to people in the military? How, how What sort of social connections are you gaining now that you've left the military? Um, is there any sort of, of cultural difference or conflict that comes along with that? And then also, there's a lot of thinking about attitudes towards acculturation. Do you want to maintain both cultures? Do you want to do you do you refuse to assimilate into the new culture and try to stay connected to the old one, or do you try to fuse them into a new sense of identity? So I, I definitely appreciate that there there are certainly different experiences, and I don't want to equate them too much. What I appreciate about the acculturation biculturalism literature is that they've thought through a lot of these different aspects, and that might actually help me to measure the ways that different people um, experiencing the military to civilian transition how how they differ in their transition. And when we we're talking about this topic in advance of our time here today, you know, Vince, you were you were identifying kind of a key distinction that was really the difference in and how one might characterize the military culture and civilian culture in the transition. So can you give us a little background about that and you know, what is that you know, main differentiator between military how, how culture and civilian? <laughs> Whatever time uh, okay. you need. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, uh, just looking at the military culture, uh, there, there are some distinct differences. You know, I mean, we have a different, there's a different system of law. You know, there's a uniform code of military justice, you know, which is slightly different than civilian law. Um, medical coverage, you know, medical coverage is not something that's a big concern uh, in the military versus the civilian sector. You don't have to worry about these medical bills or pharmaceutical bills, so on and so forth, guaranteed life insurance, there's regular pay, uh, there's standards addressed, there's standards as far as uh, physical fitness is concerned, you know, there's a nutrition plan that you follow. It, all of that stuff creates a different cultural environment when you're in the military versus when you're civilian. But one of the biggest things that um, you see as a difference is there's a distinct rank structure in the military. A very distinct rank structure is across, across all branches of service. It's known, it's respected, and it kind of gives individuals a sense of where they fit into the big picture. You know, you, you understand how far you can go or if you choose to, as far as the rank structure is concerned. So that's one of the big differences. I think what Nicole was alluding to is uh, the missions and objectives. There are missions and objectives in the military, overarching missions and objectives in the military, and that kind of gives you a sense of purpose. You know, you know where you fit in as far as the, the mission is concerned, what your piece is as far as that mission is concerned. And it kind of gives you a sense of being part of something bigger than yourself, uh, so to speak. Once you transition to the civilian world, that focus changes more from an overarching objective to yourself. It's self-perseverance, you know, and you don't really have that connection of brotherhood when you kind of focus just on just on self, whereas everybody else 
is part of the same plan. They, they're looking at the same thing as far as the mission and objective is concerned. So that's why you may see a lot of people who are feeling out of place. They don't have that brotherhood connection. Somebody is focusing on family. Somebody is focusing on their own individual needs, their work. Somebody else is focusing on something negative, positive, so on and so forth. But uh, it's more of a individualized focus once you go into the civilian world. That's hmm. a helpful distinction for the purposes of, I think, Tommy's research and, and just for anybody to really understand you know, what is the difference between cultures if you haven't experienced it, because you might have family members who've gone through the transition from military to civilian, you know, folks who've gone from civilian to military and, you know, just to understand what those expectations are and how they're different and, you know, what to expect from somebody who might be going from one experience to the other. I think that's a really helpful and critical let, distinction. Let me stress that this is just a few of the many, as a merit of things, at uh, differences and nuances as far as going from military to civilian life. These are just a few other things. Uh, you know, from my transition, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I had to make some adjustments myself, but my biggest issue was trying to figure out this new medical system. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's really a, a culture shock when you uh, have to deal with medical bills and co-pays and all, you know, all the other stuff that uh, civilians have to deal with. Part of the difficulty when you're trying to measure a complex construct is how do you start to narrow down the scope enough where it's measurable? So I'm going to turn it back to Tommy because that's that's going to be your job and your doctor <laughs> is trying to come up with measures. So you know, what have you explored so far or what are your thoughts for measuring this construct now that you have some research and you've got some insight from you know, veterans like Vince? So you know, what are your thoughts about how you can start measuring a construct like this? Yeah. And a construct like this, it can be it can be nebulous to talk about identity. It can be really um abstract in a way. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge for measurement. It's also a challenge for communicating the issue. I think when it comes to communicating it, I need to rely on on anecdotes and stories to help ground this in, this abstract concept in, in, in a reality that people can understand and relate to. Um, now, when it comes to measuring it, again, one of the reasons that I'm drawn to the biculturalism research is because they have thought through a lot of different measures. Um, when it comes to this degree of exposure to one culture or another, they've they have asked scales and and they have uh, measurements that I think need adapting, but they can still be useful for for what we're doing here. And the adaptation sometimes is is extreme. So some of these scales ask, you know, do you maintain um, your traditional dance or or music? Which surely there are you know aspects of music in the military, but but when we think about a traditional dance that for the military, maybe it starts to it starts to slip away from what what I'm trying to apply these models to. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping to to use and adapt scales that already exist, and so psychological scales that ask a variety of questions that all seem to focus on on the central theme, but they ask it in different ways um, to try to measure and understand how people identify and and their experience in transition. So it sounds like you've got some measures that are out there that exist, but they might not be sufficient for the construct as you've defined it because of uh, the uh, 
I guess the application of those surveys or those measures to something that's not, not quite related to your doctoral work or to that military to civilian transition. So I'm just going to throw that caveat out here for you and anyone who's listening is uh, the cautions when it comes to building a Franken survey, as I call them, where you're pulling the best pieces of all these different surveys and pulling them together and building a Franken survey. And you, know, you just, you know, the, the caveat is that they might those items and those sections of surveys might've worked well in their original format, but when they're merged together with other items, they might turn into this ugly me, ugly monster, this beast. So, you know, it, it definitely is critical that if you do pull pieces of surveys together to help define your new construct or to refine an existing construct, that you're reassessing the validity and reliability to make sure that the items are still going to function like you want to and that you don't end up with this Franken survey that is just going to run amok and not help you answer the questions that you're trying to answer. So I digress, but I can't help myself when it comes no, to- No, it's a good topics. point. <laughs> it's a good point. And ideally, if I, if I had more time or actually more foresight and, and started this project a few years earlier, what I would like to do is, is all right, I make an, a, a new measurement that's something I think is okay. Franken survey, if, if you will. <laughs> but then to go and, and, and talk to people like Vince, talk to veterans, talk to military service members, talk to experts and get their feedback and start to refine the survey, start to, to make the measure that I'm using much more relatable to people's lives, start to see how would you go about answering this question if I, if I gave it to you um, and try to understand if there's any difficulties in the way that I've phrased something, if it just doesn't relate to their experience mm -hmm. and to start to take it from something that totally is cobbled together and perhaps too academic and too out there and, and, and get that feedback from people who it, it actually intends to, to measure something about. So I'm going to put Vince on the spot here with a question. And, you know, when you think about <laughs> research like this, you know, what benefits might exist or what would be useful for veterans or those folks who are transitioning in and out of the military lifestyle to civilian lifestyle? You know, is there something that could come out of this kind of research that you think would be useful for folks? First of all, I, I, I like to say it sounds like this is a very difficult <laughs> undertaking um, because you got a bunch of factors that play into this. As far as the usefulness is concerned, I mean, on the, the in the civilian world, with them having a better understanding of what they're getting, uh, if there's a way to score that or to measure that so that employers know what they're getting, what's coming their way, what the soldiers have gone through, and what kind of a culturalism shift um, they expect to, you know, to run into when they uh, come into that world. It's kind of making your uh, your workforce a lot more inclusive, I should say, uh, just as your equal opportunity officers or uh, our organizations do. I, I, I partner with a company right now called ALD and Associates. They work with organizations to help them do just that, to make a more inclusive workforce to support such a such an effort. But when you're talking about factors of measurement, I mean, there are some things out there that you can take a look at. You know, there's, on um, the civilian world, there's employment rates. You know, how long has a person been in a job? Uh, what job do they have? Uh, what are their uh, um, divorce rates? To include, unfortunately, suicide rates. You know, those are things you have to take a look at to see how well veterans are adjusting. Uh, from the military side, they're influencing factors 
as well, when you're trying to put your definitions or put your ranges on definitions, you have to take a look at uh, what region of the country or the world did they transition in? Um, what, were the, what was the rank when they left the military? Was their medical status? How, how long were they in the military? And another key one is what was their military operational specialty? We call it MOS. What was their skill specialty? Because some of those specialties transition much, much better than others do. So there's a lot of factors you have to take in consideration, and we're just kind of scratching the surface. So yeah, this would be a Franken survey for sure. When I first proposed this research, um, my committee members started bringing up this laundry list of, of different factors that could influence people. Um, what about this? Have you considered their their occupational specialty? Have you considered the branch right. that they're in? What if they're on active duty versus reserve status? Um, and and I, at the time, did not have any sort of strong framework to to think about measuring identity or post-military identity. And and without any sort of framework in place, all of these, this whole laundry list of, of items and, and, and factors that do, I think, influence people's transition from the military to civilian life, um, I had no way of even beginning to say, okay, here's how that would fit in to a, uh, any sort of framework or definition. So... Um, yeah, there's there's so many things that we need to account for, and I think part of part of why I'm um, trying to measure this is to be able to to start to think about how all of these different pieces might uh, affect people. Well, I was a strength manager uh, in the military, and as a strength manager, there's a list of factors that we take in consideration, uh, and there's influences as well, and, and it has to do with the attrition rates, promotion rates. Uh, the recruiting requirements, you know, all of those nuances go into um, your your overall factor or your survey to determine where you want to be. So, yeah, I understand your your pain that you're about to get into. <laughs> yeah, the pain is just getting started now. <laughs> What's that? The pain is just getting started. It's just getting started. Uh, and, and, you are, you think... are really just scratching the surface as far as this is concerned. Oh, yeah. And it will depend on how you draw your sample as well when you start collecting research, because you can build that survey where you're pulling the pieces together and then having to reestablish the constructs with new items and new item clusters. But using the concepts of clusters, if you do have a large data set with a wide variety of demographics, you could always do a cluster analysis of those demographics to see, are there certain clusters that have this type of results versus another cluster? So this way you're not looking at every single demographic in isolation, but you're looking at how do they group together in a way that uh, fits into your data, not necessarily in a way that you're imposing on it. So I think there are a lot of varieties, but it all depends on number one, how you're designing your study, and then really what kind of sample that you're going to get. And then ultimately, how do you want to generalize it to what population? So I think when we're thinking about the research for your doctorate and the academic implications, yep, there are things that you want to check those boxes <laughs> and you want to be complete. But then when you're thinking about it from the application side and some of the work that Vince and I are in, and now Tommy, you're in as part of Ala Brave, is how do we take those insights and inform organizations or institutions or workplace situations to make a difference that is of the betterment in this case of your veterans who are transitioning out of the military. So, you know, it's kind of meeting both worlds and, and then that's going to make your work twice as complicated. Sorry. I smile because we've all been there and <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> we know. 
and yeah, and I would definitely say it starts with uh, with the the whole civilian population as far as employment is concerned. That's kind of one of the main things that you can uh, take a look at uh, when you're talking about uh, people don't feel like they're connected or they they feel like they don't have a purpose or uh, personalities, uh, conflicts, or so on and so forth. Uh, it starts with employment. Employers need to understand, you know, what they're getting into. They need to understand what these, what what so, what the soldiers are going through or the veterans are going through as far as the transition is concerned, and uh, they need to support it. And you know, just like I said before, create that inclusive environment uh, to support the transition. It's understanding that it is a cultural change. And that's one part about this that I think is, it's one of the things that draws me to this research. I've never served in the military, but I grew up always knowing about the military, always having these opinions. And it's almost like the civilian side, there, there's just as much responsibility for civilians to recognize this transition and what people are going through and how they can how they can help or how they can play a better role. And so that's that really excites me about the applications of, of this research is there's so much to learn um, for people who who you know, may have grown up hearing all, all sorts of things about the military, but never really understanding and never really truly knowing people for who they are. It's not all that you see on TV. Everybody's not Rambo. <laughs> Part of this transition, the first place that a lot of people go would is, is either they get a job and they get employed or they go on the GI Bill to college. And the some of the interview data from veterans says they've got professors or other classmates um, more or less kind of questioning questioning their military service in ways that are kind of offensive. In other instances, there is this feeling of being out of place because because the veterans are older than, than kind of traditional age college students. So 18 and 19 year olds in the class and who have just come out of high school and so are, are really used to being in the classroom and veterans are in here. Folks who have done incredible things um, by, by the time they were 19, 20 years old and now feel as though they're somehow left behind um, and, and they've, they, they've, their training has led them to a particular way um, that may, may not fit in is, is the perception um, to, to the university or to, yeah, to the classroom. There's educational transition programs that a lot of soldiers can go through. I, I know the VA has programs that they've been working with, uh, they've created to help soldiers with their transition. As far as uh, civilian side is concerned, that's, I hate to say it, but that's just the civilian ignorance with what the military is, what they what they're all about, what they do. And we equate so much stuff to what we see on TV. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, that, that's a business. The military is a business. And there are people who have specific tasks, specific skill sets. We have electricians. We have plumbers. We have carpenters. We have analysts. We have financial managers. Uh, and it goes on. And yes, we have people who pull triggers like I used to do. And we, it goes on and on and on, you know. Unfortunately, in the civilian world, we don't see it that way. We see it as, you know, just somebody running out shooting through the woods or something like that. And not only that, but when you say there's great things that people do, you, you get your eyes opened widely in the military. Um, you realize that there's a bigger world out there. You realize that there's more to life than uh, Augusta, Georgia. There's more in life than Nashville, Tennessee. You know, there's a whole world out there and there's a lot of different people. And once you're exposed to that and you're around people who don't quite see that, there's conflict. There's conflict. So it could be the broad mindedness of a person or open mindedness of a person who's been in the military versus the narrow mindedness of a person who's 
really hasn't been anywhere other than their hometown and then to college, which is maybe right next door. I think that's <laughs> an interesting way of saying it because you're talking about the open-mindedness of somebody who's been in the military and the closed-mindedness of a civilian. And I think if you were to look at some of the research or some of the incidents where there might be a conflict, you might find that some of the civilian folks would think that they have a lot of depth and breadth of experience and the military folks have very narrow focus and, and amount of experience. So I think that's part of the discussion too, is that misperception of what it actually is and what folks are experiencing and what those cultures contain and what they don't. So, you know, part of Tommy's research will, like we said, just scratch the surface of it, but it should start to open up the door to having a new conversation that helps to bring some of these kind of two worlds together. (laughs) I would agree with that um, to say that, um, yes, I think civilians do have a, um, a lot more flexibility as far as open-mindedness is, is concerned, but um, a lot of younger people get they get that uh, that that faucet of information uh, basically poured on them at a very young age, where most young people are very closed-minded and they don't see all, see the world; they just see themselves or just see you know the the area around them. Where in the military, you are it's kind of forced on you. And that's really another thing that really drew, drew me to this line of research. The degree I'm getting is international conflict management. So it's conflict resolution through and through. And and for me, this this is a pure conflict. You've got people who have different perceptions about the other person uh, without truly understanding who they are, without trying to break through your own, uh, the ways that we can we can build up these barriers and close mindedness. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about this because it brings me back to where I, where I was when I was first uh, envisioning this topic. Well, we'll have to stay tuned to get some of the results uh, along the way. We'll have to have a future uh, podcast episode of updates, um, dissertation updates, and see how things are going as you get more of your data collected and uh, the project underway. But before we wrap up here today, um, Vince, anything to add? I mean, I know you've got some consulting work that you're doing. Is there a way for listeners to reach out if they want to engage you as a consultant? Uh, yeah, as I said before, I'm working with a, uh, I'm partnering with a company's ALD and associates. And um, as far as this area is concerned, it's, it's about, uh, we work with organizations to create this, to help these organizations create this inclusiveness, to open the conversation and create this side of this uh, type of inclusiveness in their workforce or in their workplace. Um, and it's it's right up the alley of what you're looking at. I mean, just it's, they're focusing on this sort of issues and, and of course a few other as well, but um, uh, you can reach me at aldandassociates.com. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. And actually, inclusivity is a topic of a future podcast episode. So we'll have to tune in and listen to that one as well. Uh, Tommy, any uh, last thoughts or anything that you want to share and how people can connect with you if they want to get updates about your research? Sure. Um, I guess LinkedIn is the social media I tend to be on. Tommy Hodges or at Tom Hodges, I think is is my LinkedIn handle. Uh, We'll put it in the notes. (laughs) We'll put it in the notes because who knows what it really is. No, for me, the big takeaway, this is a really, really insightful conversation for me. Um, it's still not too late to influence the course of my research and the data, the data collection will come soon enough, but but I'm still trying to work through these concepts and, and develop measurements for them myself. And uh, 
I'm going to be listening back to this episode and, and, and make sure that I, I pick up on, on all the stuff that Vince is, um, all the incredible experience that he's, he shared with us. I'm, I'm very curious to see what factors you land on as far as measuring this. Yes, we're all on the edge of our seats. We're looking forward to it. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to both of you, Vince and Tommy. Uh, thanks, to Vince, for all your insight and your uh, candid discussion here. And thanks, Tommy, for exploring this important topic. Thanks, everyone. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having me. Today, we explore the concept of biculturalism and the challenges in measuring a diverse concept. So here are three takeaways so you can say I did it. One, draw a Venn diagram or other graphic organizer to help define what is part of your construct and what isn't. Two, investigate the validity and reliability related to your measurement tool if you have to build a Franken survey. Three, decide how demographics will factor in. Will you narrow your focus on a particular group or aim to generalize to a larger population? Join us next week for a constructive chat about another cryptic concept because you can measure anything. Uh-huh.